Joshua chapter 4, very appropriate, very time-sensitive for this hour weekend of Memorial Day. This message really, I think, preaches itself. In Joshua chapter 4, the children of Israel are up to the Jordan River. They have spent the previous 40 years walking out in the deserts because they had been brought out of Egypt. God did wonders, miracles in Egypt with the plagues. He then brought them out of Egypt. The Egyptians chased them, and God literally parted the ocean for His people. And they went through on dry ground, and their enemies followed in after them and were swallowed up. They soon after that reached the promised land, and Moses sent in twelve spies. Ten of them came out with a report that said, there's no way we can do it. Those people in there, they're giants, they'll eat our kids, we can't do it. And they convinced the rest of the nation that God couldn't take them through there. And because of that, God dealt with them very severely. Because they wouldn't believe, even after what they had just seen happen. So they spent 40 years in the wilderness until every single one in that generation, that disbelieving generation, died off. Except for two. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is now the leader of the nation here in chapter 4. They've come out of the wilderness, out of the desert, and they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan River to go into the place where God has been talking to this group of people about for 400 some years. He had talked to Abraham about it when he first talked to Abraham. He said, you go where I tell you, and I will give you a land that flows with milk and honey, and it will be for your seed, for the generations that come after you, I'll give it to them. God has always associated that group of people with a specific plot of land geographically on our planet. Always has. Which is why it's not coincidence, it's not a small thing that they're back there today. But here in chapter 4, look at verse 5. Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. God told them that he was going to part the Jordan, even though it's a, it's a small, small river, creek maybe for us. Literally, the part I saw from here to the back of the room. Not a big place. But God wanted to show them, I'm still working with you. I'm still on your side. I'm still performing miracles, and he parted that thing. And as they went across, they were commanded to take 12 stones up out of the middle of that thing, carry them up on the shore, and place them for the next verse. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? This time of year, I never walk through a cemetery, and we go to a lot of them. My grandpa always did that with us. He's gone now, but we do that with my dad, my brothers, to go just trace your family history or even friends, people you know, the history that you know, to retell it, to relive it. And that phrase, what do these stones mean? Now, in Israel's time, those weren't gravestones, like they are in my time, what I'll be doing tomorrow. But the same question is appropriate. 
What is meant? What's the story behind these stones, the lives that are represented underneath here? Because as a kid, 20s, 30s, now I'm in my 40s, when I walk through there, I can, the only information I get is their name, their birth date, the date they died, maybe the date they were married, and the children that they had, maybe. But when you walk through there with somebody who is maybe your father or your grandfather, there's a lot more information that comes out. I'll always remember doing something like that with my grandfather when he was in his early 80s. And he stopped at one gravestone and he started telling me about the man that was buried there. And I remember looking on there, reading, he died in 1932. I thought, Grandpa, how how could you possibly have known this guy? You, You were only born in 26. Grandpa said he attended that man's funeral. He, he visited his shop. He knew him. He was somebody in town that he went with his dad when they went into town, and he just he knew who that guy was, and he has a vivid memory as a kid on a rainy day burying that man there. I then got to looking at when that guy was born. He was born in the 1840s. I remember thinking to myself, 1840s, Abraham Lincoln was president in the 1860s. Which means that guy could have shopped at Lincoln's store out in Springfield, Illinois, possibly. I have no evidence that he did. I'm just pointing out they were contemporaries. And I can remember as a young man thinking, I'm one person removed from Abe Lincoln. Are you kidding? Some people think he's one of the most important people that have ever lived on earth. And my grandpa knew somebody that lived at the same time as he did. See, there's meaning behind these stones. And it's a time, what we do on Memorial Day, this is what God is telling them, what mean ye by these stones? Look at verse 7. Then you shall answer them. You're supposed to answer who? Your kids. There is certain information that has to get passed to the next generation. Has to. If we are to be a successful republic, a country... If we are going to be a people that are going to exist just past our lifetime, it must. There are things that have to get past to the generation. And that's what God is telling even His people, the Israelites, here. What were they supposed to know? Look at verse 7. You shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. There's that word that we associate with tomorrow, Memorial Day. It has the same root as memory. We are to make a memory. We revisit events in our past. Now, depending on how you were brought up or what kind of childhood you had, it can be a dangerous thing to continually revisit certain memories in your past. This isn't talking about taking all the junk in your life and dragging it with you. There's biblical commandments that we cut that stuff off, we leave it behind. We're a new creature in Christ. However, as a people, when it comes to identifying what God has done for us, and even as on an individual level, you know that when you were 18 or 27 or 32 and God did something for you, you better take it with you. You had better relive it now and then. Why? The Bible says that how does faith come? 
comes by hearing, comma, and hearing. Tell it again. Hearing and hearing by the Word of God or what God has done. See, as we read these things, you're just immediately, there's a little bit of faith in this room because you think, God really dried up the Red Sea? That's amazing. And he killed those, his, their, their Egyptian enemies. He drowned them in there, but they got to go over safely. You, it doesn't take long. You don't have to talk about that for more than about 90 seconds and you start thinking, I, I want that God on my side. That's what's supposed to happen. Create a memory. And tomorrow America will do that. We have Memorial Day where we retell portions of our history. And we are there to talk about the men and women who died for the rest of us. We revisit certain things. James Madison said that freedom cannot be maintained without a frequent recurrence to fundamental principles. What's that mean? That means you have to go back and revisit the basics often. There's nothing more basic than freedom. There's nothing more basic, more foundational to human existence than being left alone to your own skills, your own motivations, your own desires, your own initiative, freedom. And this is the time of year we, we do something like that. Without a recurrence of going back to that, the next kids have no idea how we got where we are now. Now, we're starting, because America has gotten off the right path, we're starting to experience a lot of occasions of the wrong recurrences in our daily life. We're starting to have things that recur all the time that should never happen. Never how many, if there, most of you in here, when you went to school growing up, people had weapons in their cars all the time. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and in high school, everybody had a shotgun or a rifle in their vehicle, and nobody thought a thing about it out here, nothing. Something's changed. Something's changed drastically, and I think part of that is we, we haven't done what this is saying. We have not taught the generations that are coming up about the Lord. They don't know that God helped found us. That helped us overcome the British. That helped us in World War I, II, the Civil War, all those different areas. There are certain things that the next generation has to know. For the next dozen verses or so, this lays out just some commentary of what they're doing when they're taking these stones up. But skip down to verse 21. And God starts to talk about these stones again. Verse 21, He spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come. That means there needs to be a conversation. We need to have a national conversation about what God has done for this people. And what have we done in that arena? We're actually doing the opposite. We're removing the ability to talk to our kids about God. You know, people want to talk about how things like what recently happened in Texas here this last week. How can that stuff happen? There are a group of people that have gotten everything they've wanted. And it started back in 1962 with the removal of God from schools. Those same people didn't want kids to be disciplined. They didn't want to be able to fail kids if they didn't do right. 
They wanted all respect removed. There was parental authority that was challenged. They also wanted, well, we could tell those kids they're from monkeys. We've been telling young, impressionable kids for about two or three generations that they came from animals. How do you think that makes them respect life? It goes in a nosedive. We have been listening to a certain group of people talk to us what we do in our schools for about 60 years. And we're reaping all of it. We need to get back to where we talk to them, father to son, mother to child, about what do these stones mean? What is our past? In verse 22, Then you shall let your children know. That means knowledge. There are certain things our kids have to know about where we came from as a nation. And so far, we've just been in generalities. Let's look at some specifics. What are, if I were to ask you and just pass out slips of paper, you write down and we bring them up here, maybe read them. What would you write down? What has God done for America? What comes to your mind? I can tell you the first thing, the first thing that comes to my mind is how in the world did those pilgrims on the Mayflower even get here? There weren't many people crossing the great wide ocean in the... 1600s, early 1600s? How bad would it have to be for you in your home country to go home and tell your spouse, uh, dear words, we're selling everything we got. We're taking that money and we're going to rent an old rickety wooden ship with a sail. And we're going to cross some shark-infested oceans that's freezing out there in the Atlantic. There's only been a few people that have even been across there to the other side and come back and told us, but we, we think it's a good enough place, we're going to go live there. How bad would it have to be in your home country to sell everything, get your family on that boat and trust that arrangement? But God got them there. And when they got there, those people, through a miracle of provision, they then survived. First winter was terrible, it was tough. But God made sure they got through. And those people planted on this continent a culture, a society that would honor the Lord. The Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. And America started with a cross in the sands. Even when Columbus came here, that's the picture in our capital of Columbus planting that cross on the sands down near the Caribbean. America was founded on that idea, and you can follow it all the way up through our history. Those guys made a law in the 1640s that any time a town got so big that, I think it was 50 households, by law they had to set aside some money to pay a teacher where the kids could all resort to to teach the kids how to read and write. And they wrote into the law the reason for doing this, that the children would not be deluded as in former times in Europe. You see, in Europe, the government had kind of gotten hold of the kids. They had taught them what they wanted to teach them, and they told them some falsehoods. And they wanted, on the new continent, we're going to make sure our kids can read and write the Bible so they can recognize when they're being lied to. See, when our kids were told things like you came from monkeys, they should have been strong enough to went home mom and dad or even tell their teacher that, 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 that ain't right. Should have never got past the first week. 
They were taught how to read and write the Bible so that the delusion could not get into them that they would know right from wrong. That they would always be able to reject tyranny. You ever notice when election season comes around, how many lies you hear? It, it, it almost never stops. And there's a part of that that is almost a good test. We Christians should be able to recognize that's a falsehood. That's false. That ain't true. I hear some truth in that. It may not be all, but I can tell what's true and what's false. So what do we measure it by? Bible. Thy word is truth. And the kids are supposed to know some of this stuff. I always think about when I read this, that it says that you're supposed to tell these kids. Why? Why does God want one generation to know what happened in your life and your grandparents' life? Yes, you don't want to make the same mistakes. Let's look at it on the positive side. If God has done something positive in your mom, your dad, your grandparents' life, save them by a miracle, do you know why it's important for that to get into the next generation? So that when they get in trouble, what do they think? God can help. I've been here before. Mom got out of this. Dad, grandma and grandpa, great grandpa got across here on this boat. I can get out of what I'm in. See, that leads me to think, Jesus said when his generation asked him, show us a sign, what did he say about that? See, they just wanted a sign that says, okay, you're, you're, you're from God. They wanted a sign. Do, do you know how many signs God had given that nation of Israel? But they were asking, we want to see one from you. Jesus said, an evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. In other words, God's not just going to come to each generation and repeat the exact same thing. What does he expect? That when you hear about what he's done, what's been recorded in history, that is supposed to get in here. Enough of it is supposed to get in here and in here that it's almost like you were there. That there's enough faith that rises up in you. I think it's not by chance that Jesus said, an evil and an adulterous what? A generation. See, every generation needs to know what happened in the previous one. The previous two, three, going way back. Every generation that comes out of the womb, they didn't see with their eyes what you saw. So the story has to be retold. God's not going to redo the Red Sea just for every kid so that every kid knows, well, God could do that. He expects it to be taught to them. So that in their life, they may not need to cross the Red Sea. Almost nobody in history ever has again. It was needed that one time. But you're going to face things in your life and me in my life that we still need that same help. And we need to know God can handle stuff like this. Verse 23. Uh, verse 22. You shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over. What is God saying there? Why, when they ask, Lord, what means these stones, why is he saying it's a memorial that God dried up the Jordan River? Because that was a miracle. God wants the next generation to know, you know how mom and dad got across here? Is this Jordan, even though we could have swam across it pretty easy. God dried it up for us. And that was in their time. 
But see, there's something more in this verse than just what happened in mom and dad's time. What's the next rest of the verse say? As the Lord, that's comparative, meaning just like, as the Lord your God did what? As he did to the Red Sea. You see, God is telling Joshua, we're drying up this Jordan and we're setting up a moral, so you remember this one? But this one is supposed to remind you of even the bigger one that came before in Grandpa's time when the Red Sea was dried up. In our nation, we've had people, grandparents and great-grandparents, that saw amazing things. Can you imagine seeing newsreels and newspapers, what was going on in Germany, in Europe, in the Pacific with the Japanese back in the 30s and 40s? I, I honestly think if I had been there and saw that stuff, I would have thought, okay, this is the end times. I would have made a mistake. Because that stuff looks pretty bad. And those people were asked to sign up and go help. Tomorrow we'll go to Memorial Day services in the little town of Western where I grew up, 300 people. Me and my brothers always count. There's 46 names that are going to be read from the one generation that left that town of 300 people. 46 names that went overseas to go fight in World War II. I always am amazed at that. 300 people. And 46 of them went around the globe to go help. Isn't it amazing what America has done in the past? We did the same thing in World War I. Korea, Vietnam, we send people. And we do that precisely because we are a Christian nation. Jesus said, No man hath greater love than this than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And you need to be careful how you define. What do you picture when you say lay down your life? Because Jesus went on to say that a good shepherd is one that he defends against the sheep, the, the sheep against the wolf. When the wolf comes, the good shepherd, he fights him off. The hireling does what? He flees because the sheep aren't his, and it says that the sheep are caught and they are scattered. Jesus was all for self-defense. There's a righteousness in defending liberty. Jesus has no problem with that. And our nation has done what we've done precisely because we have been a Christian people. When I think about kids today, though, I sometimes wonder, and it's not their fault, what would their devotion level be to our nation today? You see, there is a... I I did some research and found out there's an advanced placement history course in our schools, our high schools. It's all over the nation. Every kid in any high school can sign up for the following class. It's a history class that you get for college, uh, for in high school, but it applies to college credit. That American history portion of it does not even mention the Revolutionary War. Didn't even mention it. Not the Civil War. It doesn't mention the World War I. It starts in World War II with us dropping bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And the context, they say, is look how evil America is. They're the only ones that have ever done this to other people. They don't even put it in context that we were attacked and we were ending the war. We were ending the killing. 
it is by design that the next generation is to be corrupted. The whole message to them is, why would you even fight for America? This sucker needs to be tore down. It's not by accident that our streets have been filled with young people tearing down history and anything that shows America might be worth fighting for. We've got our work cut out for us, but we got somebody on our side. Look at the next verse, verse 24. The reason God wanted those memorials set up so that it would spark the conversation that when your children ask, verse 24, that all the people of the earth, and I've got the next two words highlighted, that they might know. There has to be a knowledge in the minds of people that all the people of the earth might know what? The hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Here's what I take out of that verse. It's not just for me. It's not just for me. That is talking about the whole earth needs to know something. Needs to know what? It's what Patrick Henry said, that there's a God that presides over the destinies of nations. God steps in to help and to destroy nations. Patrick Henry, in that Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, he said that God will raise up friends to fight on our behalf. Think of that. He, they really thought God would help them. He said, we're not going to fight these battles alone. He gave that in a church, St. John's Church in Virginia. And he convinced those farmers, those merchants and those shopkeepers to take up arms and to go fight. They did it and they won. Because he convinced them that there's a God that will step in and help us. Some people don't like that. I've met a lot of people, honestly, that think God doesn't take sides in conflict. I always think, what did God tell the first patriarch, Abraham? He said, I will bless them that bless you I will curse him that curseth you. And what about our first, one of our first patriarchs, the same name, Abraham Lincoln. In the Civil War, he said, I'm not so much worried about being, of God being on our side. I'm more worried about us being on God's side. And what was he saying? That we've got a choice of whether or not we're going to do righteous or evil. And as long as we choose righteous, God will help us. As long as we choose to do the right thing in all these social issues that we're not supposed to talk about, if we choose correctly, God jumps in to help. Lincoln was absolutely convinced that God would help us. And there are accounts after accounts where he did just that. He preserved us. When disaster was close and things just barely got turned in the right direction so that America would not just survive, but thrive. That verse says that all the earth, not just even Americans. You see, back up to chapter 3. Chapter 3 in Joshua is when Joshua sent a couple of spies in to go into Jericho. Because that's the first city when they crossed the Jordan River. The first city they come to is Jericho. These spies go in there to see, get the lay of the land, and they come across this lady named Rahab. 
And she gives them some inside information about what's going on in their country. Look at verse 10. Uh, verse 11. As soon as... Uh, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 11. I'm sorry. Rahab told them, As soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And the reason she's saying that is, in the previous verse, verse 10, that we heard how God dried up the Red Sea before you. I got a question for you. When did that happen? Rahab is telling them that 40 years ago we heard what God did for you and we are still scared to death of you people. I'm not here to say that the world needs to be scared of America. That's not the point of this. It needs to be, it needs to hold in awe our God. The world needs to be pointed in the direction of you want to serve that God. Because Rahab 40 years later, is telling those spies, our hearts are dried up. Nobody wants to fight you guys. They're all going to run in the other direction. And it was 40 years later. Do you see the importance of God's acts being remembered even by His enemies? That's why when you get to the end of Joshua chapter 4, and it says He wants the whole world to know about Him. If we can turn this ship of America back. The whole world can get an understanding. God works for those people. We need a miracle to come out of something like that shooting in Texas where somebody heroically has, the, has God on their side, stands up and single-handedly stops some shooter just through a miracle. Put the fear of God in all these crazy people They're trying to go in to take innocent life. When God steps in, He can put the fear of God in evil so that they don't even think about coming in your direction. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But we need God on our side. We've done a lot in the last 60 years to turn away from the Lord. The Bible tells us if we go back toward Him, if we repent, if we make up our minds and do everything we can to go for Him, God can turn anything around. And if you don't think we need His help, then I'm not sure what we do. If you're over 15 years of age, you've seen enough. I, I, the things that I saw as a kid that I thought were, were troublesome things, they don't even register on the scale today. But God can change this stuff. But it's going to take His people to get after this. And I want you to bring up now, this time of year, I cannot help but think of one song. Absolutely love this song. The Battle Hymn of the Republic. The words, the language that this lady wrote in the darkness before the sun came up during the Civil War. She was looking out over a hill near Washington, D.C., where the camps of the Union soldiers were huddled around campfires. She had 
terrible vision. She was basically blind at this point, and it didn't even matter that it was dark. She found in the darkness a pencil and scribbled the lyrics as it came to her mind. She said she felt like God was giving her a song. The Battle Hymn of the Republic. As we go through the language of these things, I want you to remember our soldiers from the north sang this song as they went down south. Soldiers. Soldiers singing songs, what do those songs usually sound like? They don't usually have Bible verses in them. This one did. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Talking about the second coming. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. The grapes of wrath in Bible language always is judgment and it's the crushing of grapes that's a splattering of blood. She's talking about when God comes back here, when Jesus returns, He's going to be crushing grapes, blood splattering. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of His terrible swift sword. She's getting that directly from Revelation 19. His truth is marching on. Verse 2, I have seen Him, capital H, I've seen Jesus in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. What do you do with altars? You make a sacrifice. Something dies on the altar. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. The trumpet is associated with his second coming. The announcement of his arrival back here. He's coming back to sit in judgment to judge the nations. Oh, be swift my soul to answer him. Be jubilant my feet. Our God is marching on. Keep it there, Anna. The judgment that she is discussing here, you put the whole song together, when God comes back here to judge us, How is he going to see us treating our fellow man? Because they thought in their time, there's people in chains down south. And if we're just going to live next to that and do nothing, that grapes of wrath, it's for us. What I'm pointing out is, the promises of judgment in the Bible drove those people to do what? We're going to fight for their liberty, for their freedom. And the last verse Some of the best language in all of music. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. What that is saying is Jesus died to give us a certain liberty. We have a spiritual liberty. Now we know we're going to live in heaven Forever. We get to walk this earth as pilgrims. We don't even belong down here. He transformed us that we now have the ability to overcome sin. And if He did that for us, if He was willing to die for us to do that for us, what should we be willing to do? Let us die to make men free. From that time, America's all of our history, we have died to let. Other human beings know freedom. You want to know why I'm proud to be an American? 
Right there, it's all in that verse. We're a Christian people that has decided we're not letting other people live under tyranny. We're going to do what we can to solve it. And once we do that, we crush it. We then bring our men home. We don't even take those lands. Nobody's ever done that. In the history of the world, nobody has conquered other foreign lands and rebuilt it and give it back to their people. We did it. We've always done it. We're not out there to steal anything, to take what isn't even ours. You better believe I'm proud to be an American. Of course we've got faults. We, we live among the human race. But line anybody up against us. I'll take my chances. We're going to sing. You have this song? You don't? That's fine. If, look for it quick. While God is marching on. The language of this song at the end always talks about His truth is marching on. His, his day is marching on. Our God is marching on. It's always painting the picture of God going forward. He will continue to do this stuff. He is involved in our lives. Now, I, I preach all the time about recognizing when God does something in your life. So that's what he was telling Joshua. You need to remember, he caught you over this Jordan just like he did the Red Sea. He helped you kill those Amorite kings and he'll help you kill these Canaanites. You have to recognize that God's always working in your behalf. Look for ways that anything you know that God is working for you and use that as His strength, as an encouragement, as faith building. Of It might be the smallest thing. But if you know that He's with you, the biggest thing can be right around the corner. Okay, no problem. You can go home tonight and find on the internet, on YouTube, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Sing it yourself. It's awesome. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the country that we were born into, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to preserve it, to point it in your direction. Lord, we, we pray over the people of pastors' churches that they would always lead the Christian life in its perfect ideal. We pray that you would guard and protect those people, all of us, that we would live under an open heaven as we walk before you. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us, and we look for you in, in our lives on a daily basis, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.